0: Well, we are in, really, week two of our Thessalonian Christmas. And today is, truthfully, one of the most simple passages I've been given to preach in a long time. It's very easy. But before we get there, I was thinking through it. I wonder if we know this message. Like, let's say, if I was a betting man, and I asked all of you this question, the question would be, why did Jesus come? Specific Christmas is about him coming. And I asked you, why did Jesus come? I think probably about 92, maybe 95% of you could give me the answer very clearly. 5%, give or take a percentage point, would be somewhere near the ballpark. But I bet you you could tell me very specifically why Jesus came. But the problem is, we often have our message drowned out by everything else. And we get caught up in it. Actually, let's imagine we didn't know what the message was. So if I said, what is Christmas? And you're like, I don't know. And I said, all right, I'm going to give you a job. I want you to do some research. I want you to go find out what Christmas is all about. And I got the best way for you to find that research. There is a radio station called the Christmas Station, 105.7. I want you to listen to some of the songs Write down what you find out and come back and tell me what Christmas is all about. So I did that this week. I did some research. And here's what I found. On 105.7, I, what I did is I just kind of, they can tell you exactly what's playing at that time. And I got 10 songs at the time that I, that I played. I played it at 6 in the morning, and here's the first song that came up by Elvis Presley. Here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus. So... What we can learn about Christmas is that Santa is going to land on Santa Claus Lane. The next song was Baby, It's Cold Outside, a duet with Michael Buble by Idina Menzel. That's a creepy song, to be honest with you. (laughs) I know Elf made it popular. It's creepy. It's about getting a woman drunk and staying over for the night. I don't think that's the Christmas message. Then the next song, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year with Andy Williams. And Andy Williams has that classic voice. And everything is happy with Andy Williams. Everything is snow and bells and just happy. But I still don't know what Christmas is about. And then the deeply theological song, Have a Holly Jolly Christmas. Very deep. Have a holly jolly Christmas. And in case you didn't hear, oh, by golly, have a holly jolly Christmas this year. Deep. Very deep. I don't know. It's about Holly Jolly. Then another Santa Claus is coming to town, and then Amy Grant's got a song. If you know Amy Grant, she's a Christian singer, and she's going to get a, hit us a home run. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party house. And in the middle of it, you know, there's a line that hits, actually hits it perfectly. You can get a sentimental feeling. I wanted to sing a nightclub before I did this job. But that is exactly it. You can get the sentimental. It's all about sentimentality. Christmas is about nostalgia, feelings. Oh, that's what it's all about. And then a couple more Frosty the Snowman by Bing Crosby. The Christmas song, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Sentimentality again. And then there's one, I never heard it before. Has anybody ever heard The Last Mile by Gene Autry? Does anybody ever hear that song? I don't know it. I was going to have them come up and sing it. It's The Last Mile. So Christmas is about The Last Mile. So let's say we compile all this together. What is Christmas about? I have no idea. None. But the message at the church is Christmas is about people being saved. So the title of this is about saved. I want you to stand, and we're going to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and it's a clear, clear message. And I would say some of you need to hear this, and some of you need to actually pull it out from the dust of Christmas and make it prominent in your hearts again, because that's what it's about. And we're going to talk about it. So we start in verse 13 of chapter 2. But we, meaning the church of Thessalonica, you could say we, the church of Kent City, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. So He chose the Thessalonicans to be the first group that is going to basically. Be a harbinger that a whole bunch of people are going to come behind him in order to be saved, delivered. To this, or, okay, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, salvation is what that's pointing back to. To this, he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. You may be seated. So this is all about Very clearly, being saved. What does saved mean? Simple. Saved means to be delivered. The best picture I can think of being saved is you are swimming in the ocean. You're drowning. You say, help. Somebody throws a life preserver. You put your armor on a life preserver. They bring you up into the boat. You're saved. And we're going to talk about how you're saved, what you're saved from. And it's so easy we like to make it complicated. As I was reading through this, I I like to have what I would say, one of my problems is I like to have a different angle coming at things. So people go, wow, I never saw that before. As if it's a brand new truth. This is not a brand new truth. This is a truth that delivers us from death and brings us to eternal life. But I want you to see the first Two, three words. We ought always. That means this needs to be central. It needs to be front and center of what we talk about. It needs to be what we're about. We are obligated to give thanks to God for your salvation. That word ought means it must be about the thing we do here. Just kind of like Christmas, Christmas ought to be about Jesus the King coming to save us from our sins, but all of this other stuff gathers. And sometimes we need to clear it and say, what do we ought to be about? It must be the main thing. It must be what we believe, even in our homes, and tell our kids about, and our friends about. It's almost like we need to get this burden back. It's a very interesting verse in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. It says at the very first chapter... God spoke to us at various times and in various places, but then He spoke to us by His Son. So, God wanted to speak our language, so He sent us His Son. So, Jesus in the manger is His Son. Jesus grew up to be a man. Jesus died on a cross and shed His blood. That's how God speaks our language. And so, it says, Jesus is the exact radiance of His glory. That means when you see Him, In skin, you see God. That blows me away. Every time I think about that, that blows me away. So he's the radiance of God's glory, and he's the exact representation of his being, meaning you want to see what God would be like, what his emotions are like, his nature's like? Watch Jesus, and that's God the Father. Often there's this weird dichotomy. You know, the God of the Old Testament's nothing like the God of the New Testament. No, no. Jesus is exactly like the Father. And then it says this in verse 3. After he had provided purifications for sins, what that means is when he died on the cross, you're, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we all sin. It demands payment. And that payment's steep. And Jesus voluntarily died to purify us of sin. So after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down. He's done doing what he came to do. We like to have him do all kind of different things. Oh, you know, Jesus is here to give me a wonderful life. Jesus is here to give me a great career and to have peace. Jesus is here to make me happy. Honestly, Jesus came to set you free from sin. And then he sat down. He's done. When I was a little kid... How many of you here, I just want to see your hands. How many of you have ever heard of fantasy football or played it and understand it? Raise your hands. I can't believe you admitted it, Andrew. It's probably hurt, didn't it, to admit that? All right, fantasy football is, if you are a football fan, like an NFL fan, it's a game you play that is a fantasy. That's what it's called a fantasy. When I was a little kid, I grew up, I loved the Cleveland Browns. All I wanted was my team, going to the Super Bowl. They never, they still haven't gone. It's frustrating. So after years, somebody introduced this new game called Fantasy Football saying, well, uh, you can have fun still watching football. You make up your own team. You get to pick your own little players and they'll score little points for you and you have this fake game going on with fake people. It's fake. It's all fake, but it's fun and it is fun. And now people don't really watch football for their team like their individual team to win, you kind of watch football for yourself. Did I win? Football used to be for your team to win. Now it's for me. Church has now become for me. Do I get what I want out of church? They don't play my kind of music, so I'm going to go to another place. You know what? I'm not getting all the different classes I wanted at church. They they preach the gospel, and people are really coming to know Christ. Yeah, but what's for me? In the same way, we have to be very careful that we don't let slide the main purpose. What is the main purpose? For people to hear the gospel, to get saved. So how does it work? It's very simple, and I'm going to make it simple. It first starts from God. Everything starts from God. Jesus says it like this. We love because he first loved us. And God is Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Father is the symbol on the top. Son is the Spirit of the Lamb because he was the sacrificial lamb who died. And then Spirit is a symbol of the dove because he's the one that has come down to bring peace. Peace in our heart. This passage tells us how the Father loved us, and the Son loved us, and the Spirit loved us. And it begins by saying, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. Some versions say brothers and sisters, includes all the family of God, be loved by the Lord. Jesus is considered the Lord in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. You can see it in verse 14, to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 16 Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself. So the first initial thing, it says we were and are loved by Jesus. How are we loved by him? Go to Romans 5. You've got to look at this. You've got to watch the progression. I'm going to bring you to some very basic truths, but they're basic because they are what sets you free. Oh, they're so good. Romans 5. Romans 5, starting in verse 6. So he's talking about how you have peace with God. That's verses 1 through 5, and then what you get, having peace with God. Then verse 6, he's going to tell us how we got it. Starting in verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So he describes us in two ways in verse 6. We are weak, That word means we're unable to save ourselves, no matter what we do. We try to be good people. We try to be perfect. We can't be. We're weak. Sin is kind of like a cancer. It's like a bone marrow cancer that makes your bones fall apart when you, you know, try to jump. They split. Sin does that with your soul. Makes you weak. And then it says we're ungodly. Oh, that means we don't really want God. That's when he came for us. Verse 7, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we went from being weak people to ungodly people to sinners. Sinners are people who purposely miss the mark. That's what the word means. So if I'm pulling back my bow, getting ready to hit a target, I actually aim over there. I purposely miss the mark. I don't want to do what God wants me to do. Actually, I like to not do what God wants me to do. And then it says in verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved, delivered from his wrath. I was watching fire yesterday. I was out having a bonfire And I was just sitting there looking at the fire. Wrath. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we're reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So verse 10, he even calls us his enemies. So if you take that down, we were weak, ungodly sinners who are his enemies. We don't like him. The best way you could view it is when God went to come hunt for me, I wasn't, like if if he's looking for a bride, I wasn't some gorgeous, oh, that's a stunner. I was kind of covered in filth, scabs and rags, and Christ died. That's really where it begins. And I would say for you, the gospel has to begin there. If you don't understand if you really don't believe you're caught in sin and stuff, I don't think you'll hear the gospel. But if you really know yourself, look in the mirror. I, I was one of the guys before I knew Jesus that would be at that bar at the lounge. Then this goes on by saying, not only we loved by the Lord, but we're chosen by God. He chooses who he wants in his family. This is hard for some people. It's the teaching of election, predestination, that God chooses who he wants. We'll talk about that in a second. I don't want to get into deep theology. You'll see why in a second. But God chooses you. I don't choose him. That's huge. And then, through sanctification by the Spirit in belief in the truth. So the Holy Spirit then is sent to sanctify me, make me holy, regenerate me, open my eyes to see. There's some debate that is the sanctification in cooperation with me believing. I think that's true. But I also think the Holy Spirit helps me believe. I'll show you what I mean. Go to Titus chapter 3. This is another one of those verses that... Titus is after Timothy. This is another one of those verses that is very crucial to know. Titus 3... Verse 3 through 5 and 6. It says, for we ourselves were once foolish. So we ourselves is a phrase which means we all. All of us are included in this. So don't look at your neighbor and say, aha, that's for him. I've always been pretty good. Yeah. I wouldn't go to the lounge. Wouldn't find me dead there. No, you really don't know, want to know what you'd be like if you didn't have God. Verse 3 says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various pleasures, passions. Slaves, that means we we are addicted to things. Slaves to things that kill us. That's what we were like before we met Christ. Passing our days in malice where I am mad at people all the time. Envy, where I want what other people have. I wish I had more. I deserve more. Why do they get that? I, I should have more. Hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, He took me, the guy that was full of filth, and he put me in water. He made me brand new. He initiated. So how does he do this? Well, verse 14, to this, salvation, when you see to this, I would just circle that and point it back to being saved. To salvation, to this, you were called. Let's talk about the word called. Called is one of those words that, some people get very theological about in the sense of the, it's simple. God summons us, summons people to come to him and those who are his come. How do you know you're his? You come to his call. The idea is that you, you know it's his voice and you respond to it. Jesus says it like this. Look what he says. He's talking about the good shepherd and he says, for the good shepherd, his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. If, if God is calling you and you respond, by faith you are his. When I was a kid, I have, I have four sisters, one who's mentally challenged, so she wasn't really that capable of running or doing anything. Now I have a brother, Don. So that's six kids of us all within eight years. And a lot of times we drive my mom nuts in the house, drive her crazy. So she just had to get out of the house. So what she'd do is she'd load us in her station wagon, the paneled station wagons. I'd sit in the back seat with my sister facing cars, you know, going like that to them. And we'd drive to a park because my mom could sit in the park and just throw us out there and read on a bench and get an hour or two of just, ah, <sighs> that's all she needed. My mom's a saint. Thank God for my mom. But... But what would happen is we would run out there, and it's when they used to have those jungle gyms that were just sheer metal. You know, if you land on them, you crack 17 teeth. It was fun, you know, going across. We'd usually play, you know, tags. Somebody would be it, and everybody else would run all over the playground, and then 17 other kids would join in, running up slides instead of going down and knocking over kids. And after about an hour, my mom would say, all right, we're going home for lunch. Come on, you guys. Just like that. All of a sudden, out of 40, 30, 40 kids, my brothers and sisters and I would just come to the car. She called us, and we came. What about the other 30, 40 kids? They didn't come. I can remember one time I was about four years old. We go back home. We're eating lunch. I probably was having a bologna sandwich on white Wonder Bread. I didn't like mayonnaise back then, just some ketchup. Yeah. it's all American <laughs> with a splash of mustard alright we had high protein meals back in the day and I, when I was young I said to my mom I said mom I-, I got a question did I respond to your call because I was your son first or did I become your son because I responded to your call Did I come to your calling because I was a weeks by birth and then genetics? Or did I become a weeks because I came home and my mom said, eat your lunch. (laughs) What I mean by that, here's what I mean by that. Sometimes people will say, until I figure out this sovereignty and free will thing, I'm not coming. How can God plan ahead of time who are his? I'm not coming if that's the way he is. And then some people, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can go tell them people about it if if they can't be called. Some people are like, "Well, I know for sure." We don't know. we don't know exactly. None of us do. The reason why is because we're not infinite and eternal and all-knowing and brilliant. We have peanut brains. And we don't know God's immensity. He can do what he wants. So when he calls you, if you are his, you will respond. That's, all, that's what it's about. Some of this is to say, he knows what's going on, so can you trust him? But he also is saying if he calls you and you don't respond, that's on you. As I like to say, it takes two sovereignty and free will to fly an airplane. Both are important. So how does he call us? Very simple very simple verse verse uh, 14 to this he called you through there's an entry point through through what our gospel so you can look at it like this picture up here you got these sheep that are scared they're trying to get out of the forest It's a dark forest and there's wolves all over. If you look way back in the left, in the middle, there's wolves ready to devour. It's kind of like the world, the flesh, and the devil after us. They want to devour us. But there is a gate where we can escape. Another word for escape is deliverance. Another word for deliverance is being saved. That's what it means. And that gate... It's very simple. It's called the gospel, the good news, which is, I'm sure you know John three 16. I'll say it. It's simple. For God so loved you, so loved the world, that he gave, it's a gift, he gave his one and only son. So, so Jesus in the manger was a gift given who grew up to be the one to die for your sins. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him, that's the invitation. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. They shall not perish because they enter into the gate of God's grace. Look at, go to John 5, 24. Here's a verse. If you don't know the Bible too well, know this verse. I think I think it would behoove you, I like that word behoove, sounds like you're really smart, it'd behoove you to know John 5, 24, because it's so clear. There is this, I would say it like this, there is this myth out out there that God doesn't speak clearly. Since he's so above us, he doesn't know how to speak to us. The best way to put it is when you have a two-year-old kid, you don't talk to a two-year-old kid about you know, if you're a dad, you don't talk to them about engines and pistons and carburetors. They won't know what you're talking about. Or if you're a mom, you don't talk to them about the different ingredients that go into the cake or the credit account and how you have debits and credits. And they, They're like, I don't know that. But if you talk to your two-year-old and say, no, come here and I love you, they understand that. You know how to talk to your kid on their level where you're actually communicating. yes. God may be immense, but he knows how to talk to us on our level. He's not. He's not confusing. He's clear. And look what he says in John 5, 24. This is as clear as you can get. And so you're going to hear this, so there's no way you can say, I never knew. Listen to how clear it is. Truly, truly, it's Jesus talking. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth. Truly, truly. I say to you, whoever hears my word, which is the gospel, which I've been saying, and believes him who sent me. So if you hear the gospel and you believe that God sent Jesus, like believe it, trust your life to it, has eternal life. That word has means in your possession now, it's yours. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. You make it out and into the pasture. You've, you've left the forest with the wolves from death to life to the beautiful land of grace. And then that takes us to ultimately when you land in grace, look at verse 14. It says, so you may obtain, and that word you may share in, The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It starts now because the Spirit starts changing you. But one day, specifically when you die, you will be glorified. You can look at it like this. This is the starting line. This is the 100-yard dash. And this is the end, the finish line. I start the race when I enter through the gate, when I believe the gospel. It's when I start. It's when the gun goes off. Boom! Boom! It's not when I'm born as a baby. It's not when I'm baptized as a one-year-old. I enter through the gate when I believe. Yes, I believe Jesus died for me. Then I start running. And this race is called sanctification. That's called just this is sanctification where I become more and more like him until one day, and this is at death, at death I'm changed. And I'm glorified. But right now we've entered into this land where we are being made more like Him. It's the beginning of glorification. It's participation with Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? Verse 15 and 16. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So here's what he's saying. Hold firm to the the truth. And And he defines the truth as tradition, spoken word, and letter. And by spoken word and letter... It's the apostles' teaching that we find in Scripture and the traditions that come out of that teaching. For us, some of the traditions we have in our Constitution is we believe a tradition which is an action which will help you grow in Christ, which will help you become more mature, is to have regular fellowship. That's why we believe it is essential for you to be part of a local body and meet on a regular basis. That's why we meet on the Lord's Day which is Sunday. It's the day he rose from the dead. Another part of our tradition is we believe the word of God gives us information to make us whole in Christ for faith and practice, behavior and belief. So some of our practices is we really encourage people to learn the scriptures alone, to learn the scriptures in family and with groups. So that's why we have youth group. That's why we have kids, ministries, That's why we have adult ministries and home fellowship groups because we believe the regular practice of digesting the word makes you go farther and farther in a Christian walk. There's an old Indian proverb that says you have two dogs in your body. One old dog is the old nature. Mean, gnarly, malice, full of hatred, jealousy. I read about that. Another dog is in your body. This dog is new, new life. The old Indian proverb is, The one that wins is the one that's stronger, and the one that's stronger is the one that eats more than the one that you feed. Some of you, truthfully, you feed on a lot of garbage. You know, I just want to say this. This is really, um, I think one of the weird things about social media, social media is filled with what I would call strange and perverse experimentation. People do things you would never think of on your own that are pretty sick. And because people do those things, now it's in your mind, and you start actually some people actually act out what they saw other people do as if that's a normal thing. And it it's it's the way Romans 1 says it's inventions of an unrighteous mind. An unrighteous mind invents things. It's kind of like there's holiness is a straight line, wickedness is curved, made. You can you can make a curved line a hundred million ways. You can invent a curved line. But a straight line is pretty straight. God's Word is straight. But there's another part to this glory part. It's verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, Jesus Himself, it's a, actually a blessing, and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may he comfort your hearts and establish Him in every good work and word. So not only am I holding fast, but if I hold fast, Jesus will do his work. He'll pour his spirit in you which will motivate you to will, to want, and to do his good work. He helps you. The word comfort in there, the word comfort in there is not sentimental feeling like that song. Oh, I just feel comfortable. Give me a nice warm blanket and a warm cup of cocoa, and sleep. That's not what comfort is. Biblical comfort is strength under persecution, affliction, and suffering. And joy. I'm going to make it. And when the Holy Spirit's given to you, you'll want to do good works. You just want to. That's the gospel. Here's My question on the gospel is... The gospel, too simple. Some people don't like it. It's it's so simple. So you mean to tell me, what I got to believe is Jesus was, when he came as a baby, he was God in flesh. He grew up to be a man, about 33 years old. He died for the sins of the world. He was buried, rose again, seated right now at the right hand of the Father. And if I believe that, if I believe, all I got to do is believe that? Yes. Well, that's too simple. That doesn't require anything of me. Do you know why it doesn't require anything of you? Because if you think you can add anything to what Jesus already did on the cross, you don't understand how severe your penalty was. You can't add anything because Jesus did everything. And if you think you can add to what Jesus did, you are saying Jesus didn't do enough. That's huge. You're you're pretty arrogant thinking you can contribute to your own salvation. That's arrogance. He already did it, and now you believe. And it's, it's sort of like, it's like the gate is the gate to get through. Everybody has to stoop to get through it. You can't put your burdens on the back. You let everything off, and you go through the gate. It causes you to be humiliated because only Jesus is worthy of glory. People who think they can do it on their own, a lot of times they take a lot of pride in their own salvation. I'm pretty righteous. See what I did? That's where self-righteousness comes from. I'm not like those guys in a bar. I'd never go there and drink. Because I stay away from that stuff. See? See how good I am? Eh. Don't take away from Jesus. He did everything. This is important to me because 30 years ago, 30 years ago it was around the end of November. I was driving on a road, Highway 44 in Ohio. It's my mentor. I felt like God was um, calling me. And he wanted me. And at that time, my life was full of, what I would say, full of malice. I was a jealous person. I was an angry, young, white male. That's how I viewed myself. It seemed like everybody's getting the world but me. And I was angry. And I pulled aside and I knew God wanted me and I, like I really knew he wanted me. And um, I got serious with him and I asked him to forgive me. But, I, but it's a serious kind of forgiveness. When you meet God, here's what I'm saying. When you meet God, you don't play the false forgiveness games. Here's what the false forgiveness games are. Yeah, I know, I got caught, I won't do it again. But deep in your heart, you know you're going to do it again. You know you are. I'm sorry, I'll go to church. When you have real forgiveness, you're like, Jesus, I'm done, but I'm scared because my life, you're going to take away fun, you're going to take away everything. Everything I know, you're going to take it away. But I trust you, It's all I got. So I gave him my life. And I'll tell you what, when I gave him my life, I was looking out the window and I looked in the sky and there were no fireworks. None. And, I, and I'm looking at the road and there's no giant angel talking like Christianal God's son. He wasn't there either. And I didn't turn on the radio and hear voices from the Holy Spirit Yes, child, woo, I woo you. Like I didn't hear any of that. I was just the. All I did is I said, Jesus, I believe in you, forgive me, and I'm going to change. And that Christmas was a different Christmas than I ever had before. That was a couple weeks before Christmas. In Christmas, my dad was in the local church choir. And he put together this Christmas program. My dad is a really good artist, and he drew this picture of this hand with a quill penning the words of John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And I remember my dad gave me and said, what do you think? You think this would be a good bulletin cover? And I'm looking at that and I'm reading the words and I'm like, oh, oh, the word became, God became man and what lived with us and we beheld, oh, I get it. I understand it. And my dad's like, I've tried to tell you that. I, what, But no, you don't understand, dad. Oh, Jesus came. Oh, and I was like, I'm trying to tell everybody, like I had new eyes. I had such new eyes that even I watched stupid shows in a different way. I'll give you an illustration. And I'm just telling you how weird I am. As a kid, I grew up on those claymation Christmas shows. I loved them. Like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And Chris, don't laugh. I know you've seen them. I know you watch them and sing along with the song. Well, Chris, there's one part in Santa Claus is Coming to Town with the Winter Warlock. You remember the Winter Warlock? all right, he admits it. See, you're a kind, gushy guy on the inside too. The winter warlock, if you know about the winter warlock, that's the song where put one foot in front of the other. And that's the song. And a warlock uh, basically is given a toy and he melts and he changes. And there's one line in there that goes like this. Listen to these words. If I want to change my reflection, that I view in the mirror each morn. You mean it's just my election to vote for a chance to be reborn? And I'm, I'm like, what? Wow, the winter warlock is speaking high theology. And I tell my kids, did you hear that? My brother's sister, did you hear what he said? He's talking about being reborn. They're like, what is wrong with you? You've watched this since you're two years old, right? No, it's different. And then I'd watch it till, um, the Christmas Carol with Alistair Sims, 1955 one, and that's the one where, you know the Christmas with the three different spirits of the past and all that. And then he thought he was going to die. And he comes back and he says, I repent, I want to change, I want to change. And he wakes up the next morning and he's different. And I remember, I mean, I've watched that a hundred times, but I'm really watching it now. And he goes to his nephew's wife and he says to her, he goes, will you forgive a man who had eyes but could not see and ears that could not hear? And I said, that's me. And then at the end, he's really nice to Bob Cratchit. He's always mean to Bob Cratchit. He's nice to Bob Cratchit. And Bob Cratchit can't believe it. Because Ebenezer Scrooge is different. And he leaves, and he's sitting at his table, and he's trying to work, and he can't work. He throws his pen in the air. I I don't deserve to be this happy at the end. And I'm like, that's how I feel. I don't deserve to be this happy. And I try to tell my family, like, Chris, why is this? It's just a movie. Yeah, but you don't know what it's doing to me. I see everything different. And his word, his word became like, oh, it's everything. So, like, when I talk, try to talk to people about the Bible and they're like, "God, oh, it's so confusing. It's so so boring," I I want to tell them, but I'm too nice a guy. I want to tell them. Then I I'm not sure you really know what it means to have to be born again. It's God's food. Yeah, oh, it just takes hard work. Yeah, because those who seek will find. It's worth it. Treasure is always worth it. It just is. We want everything so easy. We want it so easy. I once to ask my kids because they complained that they had to study for a test. And I said, why, do, why don't you think the teachers just give you the answers? Because you could get a, everybody get a 4.0. Why don't the teachers just give everybody the answers? Well, you wouldn't learn anything. Exactly. Teachers want you to ingest information so it's yours. God wants you to seek through his scripture, so that word becomes yours. Because those who seek, find. And those, I believe, those who are born again will want to find. They just will. So how would you answer that question? If I went up to you, and I, just being really honest, why did Jesus come? And then you might say, well, I know he came. He came as a child, born king, to die and save sin? Okay, yeah. Okay, then, all right, I'll ask the question this way. Did he come for you? Do you believe it?